It's great to see you, Hope. It's great to see you. I'm still wiping the tears. Just listening to you sing. I haven't heard you sing like that in like three months. I just want to say before we get into God's word tonight um, that uh, my family and I are very thankful for the opportunity that was given to us by our elders and by this church body to take a 12-week sabbatical the last three months. Uh, It's the first time in 13 years of full-time pastoral ministry that we've been able to do anything like that. Um, I just want to clear something up. A sabbatical is not a vacation. Um, It is a time to be refreshed in the Lord. It is a time to be regrouping through the Lord and realigning to the Lord. I got to tell you... um, I didn't realize how much my heart needed that. Uh, There were some ugly moments in that sabbatical where the Lord took a can opener to my heart. Uh, And it was like heart surgery. The first month and a half, just straight up. Heart surgery. He does this on me and and some of the time that I took alone with him. And then Natalie and I in our marriage and just making sure, bringing that before the Lord. Is that in a healthy place? Is that strong? Is that in a sustainable place? And then with our family, spending time with the rest of our children. Love love them so much, but just getting, seeking the Lord for new family rhythms that are sustainable and continuing to lead this church into the new seasons ahead, which are very exciting. Some of the activities that fueled us in this, or we read a lot of great books. I set a goal out to read at least one book a week, and by God's grace, surpassed that. And so my soul is being filled on top of of the most important book, God's Word. Um, Spent time on the lake. I love to fish, if you didn't know that. Some wonderful times with the Lord, uh, with the smallmouth bass and pike and largemouth bass. Um, Spent some time traveling here in Canada and the United States, times of fasting and prayer, and times of fellowship with other believers in various churches. And as we traveled around here in the United States, I just have to say, I think this is where my tears are coming from right now, like, there is no place like home. I, I mean, you might call me biased, But God is doing something so unique and special and eternal in this house. And every single pastor that filled this pulpit that I have connected with on the phone or via email has said the exact same thing. Pastor Ray, what's going on at Hope Ottawa is a work of the gospel and it's unexplainable otherwise. Every single one of them. They said, what has happened here? They say, Jesus has happened. There's no place like home. To hear you sing like that, that was the loudest singing we've heard in three months. I, and so I want to say thank you before we move on. I want to say thank you to each man who came to bring us God's word from around our fellowship. 
and those who God is raising up here at home. Kevin, JD, and last week, Joel, I, uh, I know how hard you work. And uh, can we just give thanks to the Lord for the faithful men? You were well fed. You were well fed. And that's a gift. That's rare. And I also want to thank our elders. I know, Kev, you took on a big load. I want to thank our elders. I want to thank our staff. I just, I don't know if you knew this. I just, I'm crazy about our staff. I love our staff so much. And to see them come and step up and take on the load and I want to thank our ministry leaders, like Leon and production team, and in welcome and hope, just like going all whatever it is. Next man up, let's go. Next woman up, let's go. There's a mission. There's a mission we've been entrusted with. It doesn't stop. I want to thank you, and I want to thank you for each service team member and each person who's been praying for us consistently. We felt it. I felt it in those hard times. And stepping up to serve in various ways to meet the needs of the ministry that Jesus has entrusted to us. I just, I want to say thank you, Hope. Thank you for your faithfulness. God used it, and he's building his church, and will continue to do so. And we are very excited, loved ones, for what God is doing here and what is to come this year for his glory. And we're going to unpack that in the next couple weeks as we get ready for kickoff we'll have a family chat and unpack the vision for this year the theme the all of that buckle up it's uh, incredible okay thank you hope let's get into god's word okay let's do that i'm ready you ready you ready if you don't have a bible you're gonna need one make sure you put your hand up don't be embarrassed just put your hand up get a copy of god's word in front of you and let's open it up to exodus chapter 17 exodus chapter 17 hands nice and high so our ushers can find you it's on page 34 in those bibles that they're handing out exodus 17 verses 8 to 16 exodus 17 verses 8 to 16 well the late tim keller pastor in New York City, he said this, you'll see it on the screen, the human heart is an idol factory. You agree with that? The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things, good things, like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family itself. Our children, our spouses, even family itself, and turns them into ultimate things. That's the root of idolatry. You take good things and make them ultimate things. That's what the human heart is bent on doing. Our hearts make them the center of our lives, the rallying point, the focus, because we think deceptively that they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. Anyone here besides me can resonate with that? You ever been let down by one of the idols you were chasing when it didn't satisfy? Idols always break the hearts of their pursuers. See, in essence, 
What Tim Keller is saying here and what we're going to see in our text today, in essence, what we're doing is making these things banners over our lives. It's the ultimate thing. Banners over our lives. Now, let's get a term. That might be a confusing term to you, and we're going to see it in our text today, so let's put it on the screen. This is what God is talking about when he says banner. The Hebrew word is nace. The Hebrew word is nace, and it is a signal pole around which an army can rally. When the banner goes up, the army rallies to it to regroup and to receive instruction. Banners are the standard, the rallying point in our lives that display, here it is, what we're truly dependent on for our well-being. Those soldiers, they need those instructions or they're dead. They need to regroup when they're getting pressed and defeated. They've got to withdraw and regroup to come from a place of strength. And these are the standards. These are the rallying points that shows who or what we are dependent on. Banners in our lives, loved ones, signifies the place that we go to for strength. The places that we go to for hope and peace and deliverance. And whether we realize it or not, we're all waving them. The only question is which one? We're all waving them. What banner are you waving right now? The rallying point, the focus, the ultimate thing that you must get and are dependent on. What about us as a church? We. What banner are we waving as we head into the ministry or our seventh year of ministry by God's grace since this church was planted? That's a great clap. <laughs> see, this highlights the problem. You see it and I do. Often we uphold the wrong banners in our lives. We make the wrong thing the ultimate thing. We uphold the wrong banner. The rallying point. We circle our whole lives around these things. We orchestrate our schedules, our affections, our, our, the money that has been entrusted to us around these things. What is that for you? And the result, just look at this world. Look at even in our own lives, discouragement. We chase these things, ultimate things, despair, hopelessness, division, fear, anxiety, emptiness, negativity, cynicism, anger, and hopeless pursuit of self-glory over God's glory. The idol factory. Wrong banner. Hope Ottawa, we need to be clear. There's only one banner in this world that is worthy of being the central standard, the rallying point that we live by, day by day, moment by moment. One that we can depend on 100% of the time to be our true shield that will never fail. We'll always protect and we'll always fight for our good no matter the battles that we face. There's only one banner to fly. Here's the big idea for our text today. We're going to drill right this down. Absolutely key. Get your notepads ready, okay? Because victory comes from the Lord alone. He must be my banner. Big idea. Did you notice that theme in the songs we sung tonight? 
Because victory comes from the Lord alone, not from your job, not from having kids, not from a bigger paycheck, not from a bigger platform, not from getting a spouse, not from your hockey or your soccer or your football careers, because victory comes from the Lord alone. He must be my banner or I will fall. There is no victory if we wave any others. Here in this text, we see the Israelites facing the same choice you and I are of what banner will you and I wave? They're faced with the same choice. And here the Israelites have just been delivered out of 430 years of slavery from the Egyptians. They're about 14 days or, oh no, they're about a few months in the wilderness. We'll get to the 14 days one in a little bit. A few months in the wilderness now out of Egypt And they're about to engage in their first, get this, their first hand-to-hand combat battle with an enemy. This section of the text is known as the Battle of Rephidim. The Battle of Rephidim. They've been in the wilderness about 40 days now. They're just starting to taste some freedom on a consistent basis. And here in this text, we see two critical truths we must live by. If we are to uphold the banner of the Lord in our lives each day and see his victory for his glory in the battles we face. You ready to go to war? Let's go. Get your copy of God's word ready. Let's stand and let's read this loud together. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. Let's go. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Hear the awesomeness of God's word and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Get your pens ready. Let's go. When the Lord is my banner, here's the first thing we see right here from verses 8 to 13. I depend on him alone for victory. When the Lord is my rallying point, it's where I'm regrouping. He's where I go. I depend on him alone for victory. Question, your dependence must be on God alone. Where are you placing it? Where are you placing it? The dependency piece. Go back to verses 8 and 9. So good. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. 
So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Remember, they've been in the desert about 40 days, 40 days, and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. See, Rephidim is the last stop that the Israelites make in the wilderness before they get to Mount Sinai. So they've left Egypt, which is up here, and they're cruising down the Sinai Desert all the way down. Mount Sinai's down here. Rephidim, they're about right there, okay? 40 days they come out. There they are, just about at Mount Sinai, last place. And they run into, who do they run into? See it in the text. Amalek. This is a short form for the nomadic tribe called the Amalekites, okay? The Amalekites. This was a desert tribe that traveled around and would regularly attack other people groups who were traveling, and they would plunder them. And then you notice in verse 9, let's get comfortable with Joshua, because he's going to be in every single sermon the next three weeks. It's amazing how the Lord did this, all right? Next three weeks. Look at, and so Moses said to Joshua, little side note, he's one of my favorite people in the whole Bible, Joshua. Love it. First time he's mentioned in the Bible right here. Who's Joshua? He was Moses' trusted personal assistant. We'll get into more of that in the coming weeks. And he would lead the Israelites in this battle and would ultimately be the one who would lead Israel into the promised land. The Lord is fashioning him as Israel's next leader. And this is his first battle. Moses tells Joshua to choose men to go and fight, and he would stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand. Okay, what's significant about the staff of God? Well, first off, kudos to the Hope Ottawa Props Department. Yeah. That's right. You need some props. I'll hook you up. Well, Kevin will hook you up. I just hold the staff. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay? The staff... This was the symbol, remember, the staff of Moses? The symbol of God's presence and personal involvement with the people of Israel. Don't forget, the ark wasn't built yet. They didn't have the ark. Remember, he gave Moses the staff and the burning bush. He, he said, throw down your staff. And he, he gave Moses his divine power through the staff. It symbolized God's presence with them. It was used in the plagues out of Egypt in parting the Red Sea and getting water from the rock, if you just go up a few verses, you see it right there when he struck it. Now look what happens, verses 10 and 11. Go back to the text. So Joshua did as Moses told him. That's a theme in Joshua's life. I love his humility. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. What a picture. Did you get that? Don't let familiar, some, some of the biggest problems we have when we read God's word is we're so familiar with the story. And you miss the awesomeness of the Lord afresh. See, as Joshua fights, look what's happening. As Joshua fights with Amalek, Moses, his brother Aaron, and Hur, and you may say, well, who's Hur? Hur is Caleb's son. Hur is Caleb's son. 
who's Caleb. He and Joshua were two, the only two spies that came back and gave a positive report about the promised land, and that's a few chapters later. Caleb's son, they go to the top of the hill, and notice the text. As long as Moses raises his hands with the staff in them, notice the text. Israel prevails. The battle's going in their favor. But as soon as he lowers them, what happens? Amalek's prevailing. Israel starts getting pushed back. What is going on here? See, here's the key we need to understand. What God's trying to teach us here. Moses' lifted arms, look at this. They are a picture of a prayerful appeal. Remember, this symbolizes God's presence with his people. A prayerful appeal to God to fight for them in battle. And a picture, here it is, a picture of the dependency upon the Lord that they needed in order to win it. Hands come down. Okay, battle's going in our favor now. We got this. We don't need the Lord. What happens? Amalek starts to press in. See, what we have to realize this here is that their own strength, the Israelites' own strength, energy, knowledge, and zeal, they weren't enough. And today, isn't it so easy to do the same things when we feel desperate? You notice this? When we're feeling weary, when we're feeling pressed, when we feel like we have no other options, we're like, Lord, I need you, right? Yes, Lord, whatever you say goes. And then what happens? We start to see prevailing. We start to see things going better. Oh, okay, things are going well. Okay, I got this. Hands come down. And what happens? We lose the dependency. And whether we see it or not, what's happening is the enemy starts to prevail. When things are going our way, hands come down. When it's easy, when it's convenient, when I know where the next paycheck's coming from, hands come down. When I'm getting what I want, when I have the kids that I want, hands come down. When I have the opportunities that I want, hands come down. This is one of my greatest, you see, by God's grace, we talked about the men being raised up in this church to fill this pulpit from time to time. And my greatest concern about anyone in our pipeline being mentored to teach God's word is that those first few sermons, it's like, Lord, please. Nerves are running, sweat's pouring, you're on your knees, your rug has carpet, your knees have carpet burns from your rug. But then you, something terrible happens. You get to sermon 10 or 11, and it lowers a bit. I've done this before. I got this. And then it keeps going. And you lose the critical dependency that is needed. See, when things, when Moses lowered his hands, when things were going the Israelites' way, it symbolized that when their dependency was placed on anything else but God alone, they're going to fail. 
And today it's the same with us. Lots of resources, lots of comfort. I'm getting my preferences. I got this. Thanks, God. I'll take it from here. Beloved, beloved, I want to drill this home. Eyes up here. Eyes up here. Ready? There's only one hero of every story. And it's not you or me. There's only one hero of every story. And Moses, notice this? Notice where God had positioned Moses? Go back to the text. Notice where he positioned him? On top of the hill. Why? Why on top of the hill? Why not in a valley where no one else could see him? Why did he position Moses on top of that hill, what you're looking at right there? Why did he do that? So that the Israelites would constantly be reminded of the dependency. If those hands come down, and you take your hand off the true hero, you will lose. The flesh will come in. The sin will be too hard, too strong to resist. And self-glory will prevail. We aren't strong enough to handle it. Your dependence must be on God alone. Loved one, where are you placing it? What us as a church? Where are we placing it? How many of us right now in this room are fighting with our hands down? I got this. Not even thinking twice to go to the throne of grace. See, prayer is a declaration of our dependence on the Lord. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence. This is what God needs the Israelites to get. What he needs Joshua to get the one he's training to lead. Think about that situation you're facing right now and you know you'll be facing when you leave here today. Who or what are you depending on in it? What banner are you raising? Some examples, that marriage that's hurting. What's your rallying point for healing in your marriage? Your ability? Your ability to change your spouse? Good luck with that, loved one. Been married 15 years now by the grace of God. I'm just telling you, good luck. I love my wife. She's amazing, but good luck. And she'd tell you the same thing. How about this? In that weight or responsibility of being parents and raising children that feels way too heavy. And just feels day after day, you don't have enough strength to make it through the day. And you don't even see the fruits of the gospel in their lives. And you're so discouraged. Are you fighting with your hands down? How about this? In the struggles with your health. In the struggles with your health. How about in your financial situation? How about in the worry, the anxiety, the doubt, or fear? You fighting with your hands down? When's the last time you waved the banner of the Lord and rallied around him? How about this? Maybe some of us are here, and you're in that place of, I feel like I'm prevailing right now. I... What do I need to depend on God for? I've got all the money I need. I'm comfy. I got all the stuff I need. Things are going my way. Hey, loved one, I'm very thankful that the Lord has brought you to that season, but I guarantee it with that attitude, you will not be kept there. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Your falling is only one step away. Be careful. And here, the warning we get from this text 
that God needs us to see is that as if we take our eyes off the Lord, it is not long before we begin to doubt God's faithfulness, doubt our need for him, and we begin to depend on other people, things, or ourselves, our own strength as the keys to victory in the battles we face. It is a slippery slope, and it's exactly the slope the enemy wants you and I on every time. And loved ones, hear the word of the Lord. Eyes up here. That is a lie. It's a deception. We have to understand God's keys to victory through our dependence on him are always the keys to victory for his glory. And right here in verses 12 to 13, all right, pick up your pens again. Here we go. Right here in verses 12 to 13, we see three keys to God's victory through dependence. Three of them. See if you can pick them out. Number one, recognize your weakness. Three keys to God's victory in any situation we face. Number one, recognize your witness. And with that, admit your weakness. Admit your weakness. That's uncomfortable for our flesh in our world today, huh? Admit your weakness. Go back to the text, verse 12. But Moses' hands grew weary. Moses' hands grew weary. Right here we see that Moses knew that he was incapable of doing what was required of him during this battle. You ever tried to keep your hands up over your head for like more than like five minutes? Maybe you're like, I can do six. Okay, fine. How about half a day with a staff in them? Just try it sometime. Now, don't forget the battle went till sundown. You know how hard that is? Moses recognized this. He says, I can't keep my hands up. You say, well, wait, how is that, how is that Moses admitting his weakness? Don't forget, Moses wrote Exodus. He's admitting, I was growing weary. I can't do it. See, this battle would require him to have his hands raised all day till sundown. And he could not have the victory if he depended on his own strength, endurance, or resources. He says, what he says here, Moses' hands grew weary. Moses is writing, oh, I have nothing. I got nothing. And the same is true for you and I today. The best place we can get to in every situation, trial or not, is I've got nothing on my own. I've got nothing on my own. I can't do it. That's the best place you and I can get to. This world won't tell you that, but God will. Recognize, admit the weakness. This is radical in a world that says you can do it. Just work harder. You've got the strength to succeed. Don't let others see your weakness. That's a lie. No one of this world is run by the prince of the power of the air. It's a lie. See, in our world, and even in our own hearts, if we're honest, the idol factories, weakness is looked upon as a liability, isn't it? Liability, weakness. Guys, why do we have such a hard time asking for directions? How many of you actually read the instruction manuals to that new tool? You're like, I'll start. I'm a man. Really? Really? Don't worry, wives, I just said that for you. And I'm talking to myself. All right, moving on. (laughs) You can do it. Weakness is looked upon as a liability. But in God's kingdom, get this, weakness is not a liability. Weakness is essential. In God's kingdom, weakness is essential. 
Jesus, God Almighty himself, could not make this clearer in John 15, 5, when he says right here, I am the vine and you are the branches. You're not the vine. Whoever abides in me, that means remains in me through my word, in prayer, in obedience to my word. Look at that. And I in him, he is is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, say it, nothing. We got nothing. This is what Moses is saying here. I got nothing. I got nothing. And everybody's going to die. See, here's what we have to understand, loved ones. If we're going to see God's victory through us in our situations, God is not looking for help. He's looking for those who call for help. God is not looking for your help. He's looking at you to call for help. God always, write this down, God always draws near to the desperate. Always. But he will not bless our pride. He draws the battle line against it. Just like he's doing here. See, his power is made perfect in our weakness. If I could sum it up, I'd say this. Pride is never the path to victory, ever. Pride is never the path to victory. See, the world's key to victory is exalt yourself and hide your weakness. God's key to victory is humble yourself and admit it. Humble yourself and admit your weakness. All right, number two. Number two. Three keys to God's victory in that situation you're facing right now through dependency. Recognize and admit your weakness. Second one, embrace God's people. Embrace God's people. Look at the second half of 12. Go back to the text. It's so good. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and... Look at this picture. People of God coming together. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. There's a picture of what's happening there. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Look at this amazing truth. Notice this in the text. Moses wasn't trying to tough it out. Aaron and Hur come up. They see his hands going down. He's like, no, guys, I'm going to wave you off. (laughs) I got this. Here we go. He's not doing that. He's like, yeah, please get that stone. And can I use your hands, please? He knew he needed help. He's not saying, yeah, I'm totally good. I've got this. See, Moses knew he needed God's people. He needed God working through his people, Aaron and Hur, to come alongside him to help support him through this battle. If they did, that picture, look at that picture right there. If they didn't help support Moses, those hands come down and that battle's lost. If he didn't allow them to come. That battle's going south. They were, listen, God's people were God's ordained provision. I'll say it again. The people of God were the ordained provision of God into his life. And just like them, beloved Hope Ottawa, friends, 
you and I were never meant to fight our battles alone. And one of the greatest weapons God has given his church is the ability to fight together. Hear that properly. Not fight at each other. Fight together. Are you embracing God's people? Or do we feel the need? I'm just going to come packaged all the time. When people say, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, good, good. Meanwhile, you're struggling big time with that addiction or your marriage is hurting. Oh, but good, because I got to look packaged. Well, I don't want anyone to know because then they'll, they might judge me or, or, or maybe they'll do something that, that hurts or maybe I'm just going to go through this trial alone. Loved one, in love, I say this. I know things can get hard. That's not God's plan for you. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, it is never his plan for you to go through that alone. You embrace God's, you want to see God's key to victory? Embrace God's people, his God-ordained provision for each other. Are you embracing God's people? Hey, we just announced small group registrations open. Love seeing a lot of those already coming in. By the way, sign up quick. Uh, Are you going to be in a small group this year? A lot of people avoid small groups. Why? Because we get into each other's lives. I don't want that because then people will see I'm perfect. Well, don't worry. This church isn't perfect because you're here and because I'm here anyway. So don't worry. Don't worry. We know that. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to be in a small group. I'm not going to join a service team because then I, you know, need to be more community with people. I'm not going to show hospitality and open up my home because what if people don't like, what if my home's a mess? Well, you know what? I'm a mess too. So don't worry. It has to look perfect. No, it doesn't. I won't ask for prayer from those around me for what I'm going through. I just won't. I won't embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And can I just put everything on the table here? The bottom line is this. You and I can grow a little bit on our own. You know, just in your personal time with the Lord, in prayer. Sure, you're going to grow a little bit. Yeah, you are. But hear the word of the Lord today. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. We look at the blueprint of the church. You cannot grow as God intends. You cannot fulfill the purpose for which he has created you without the church. You can't do it. It was enough for Jesus to shed his blood to give you it. It's kind of a big deal. You won't, it won't happen, loved ones. Why? You'll see it on the screen. Cooperation has always been God's plan for his people. Life together. Not just showing up at a service and leaving. Life together. When it's hard, when it's easy, when sin is exposed, life together. No matter your experience, no matter your age, no matter your longevity as a believer, and you might say that, listen, listen, you might say this, you might say, you know what, I'm scared to death to get into community, because I've been hurt. 
I have too. Many times. And you say, I'm scared. Because if people find out I'm not perfect, and I admit my weakness, and they see me for who I truly am. Listen, loved ones, stop going down the, the rabbit trail of the lie. Stop it. You know why? You know why I can say that? There's a gospel for that worry. There's a gospel for that fear. You say, but it's so messy. There's a gospel of healing for that. But I might get hurt. There's a gospel of grace and forgiveness for that. But I might get known. There's a gospel of humility for that. What if I'm rejected? There's a gospel of love for that and unity. And you say, well, the commitment might just be too hard. I got to sacrifice my time. And, you know, it's a lot of work to open up my home and a lot of work to get to small group and join on a service. There's a gospel for that that changes our desires to match our Lord's. The question is, will you embrace God's people? See, as we start this new ministry or what we see all throughout God's word is that not engaging in the life of the church is not okay. I say that in all the love I can. I love you so much, church. But not engaging in the life of the church, beyond just coming in and coming out, getting known, getting loved, not engaging in the life of the church is not okay. It's time, loved ones, to not just attend Hope Ottawa. It's time to be Hope Ottawa. Life together, right here, by God's design, is not a spectator sport. Moses would try to do it on his own, they'd fail. And so will you and I. Step off the bleachers, loved ones. Everybody in the game, all people, all in, is God's design. The world's key to victory is do it yourself. I can be Miss or Mr. Independent. God's key to victory is always do it together. Number three, God's third key to victory. First, admit and recognize your weakness. Second, embrace God's people. Here it is. Thirdly, persevere in God's strength. Look at verse 13. Go back to it. Verse 13. And Joshua, look what happened. God's people came along. Moses admitted his weakness. There they are on top of the hill. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Victory. See, even though the Lord had already given the promise and the provision, he says, you're going to defeat Amalek. You are going to get into the promise. And listen, the Israelites still had to fight. They still had to fight for the victory in the Lord's power all day. Talk about exhausting. All, you ever feel exhausted in serving the Lord? You're in good company. By God's design, he takes us to the end of ourselves. They had to fight all day until the sunset, not just a few minutes. And often we think we'll serve God when we have our eight hours of REM sleep. We get our eight hours and now I'll be ready to go serve. We, we think we'll serve God when, when the opportunities he gives us just coincide with the other banners I'm waving. And I can put that around there. Uh, loved ones, reverse that. I'll serve God when it's convenient. 
when, my, when I don't have to adjust my schedule, when it, when it doesn't call me out of my comfort zone. No, loved one, no. They still had to fight an exhausting battle to see the promise that God had already given. The victory he already guaranteed. They had to go through the battle, and so will you and I. God had things to teach them. He's forging Joshua here. He's forging the people of Israel. Caleb, he had things to teach them. He needed to mature them because he knew Joshua didn't, but God knew Jericho was coming up. And Joshua had no idea. How many of us here today are facing a situation? You're just feeling weary and worn out, and maybe you want to quit you're so exhausted. You're like, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the provision. I haven't seen God's victory. And you want to quit because you feel like you can't persevere anymore. Beloved, hear the word of the Lord. Don't quit. You press into him. Do not quit. I wonder how many times Joshua's out on the battlefield. You go past one hour. You go two hours. You go three hours. He's like, guys, don't quit. He promised it. He's going to deliver us. Don't. Can you just hear him on the battlefield? Don't quit. Let's go. One more hour. One more hour. Let's go. Persevere. Our God has given us the victory. He's promised it, but we haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. Let the Lord carry you, loved one, and do his maturing, sanctifying, joy-giving, promise-fulfilling, Christ-glorifying work in you that you and I would be lacking nothing. We would be lacking nothing. And can I encourage you with this? If you're in that place right on the screen, J.I. Packer, your strength cannot fail while God sustains it. Just take that to the bank, deposit it, put it on a cue card, whatever. Your strength cannot fail, not while you sustain it, but while God sustains it. You draw near to him, he'll take care of it. But don't quit. Persevere. World's key to victory is just quit when it gets hard and your strength fails. God's key to victory is persevere in his strength because it can't fail. When the Lord is my banner, I depend on him for victory. And when the Lord is my banner, not only will I depend on him for victory, last point today, loved ones, we take this home, but also I resolve to remember his victory. When the Lord is my banner, when he's my rallying point, when I'm looking to him and not the idol factory that my heart wants to put in his place, listen, listen, I resolve to remember his victory. Remembrance fuels dependence. Will you resolve to remember the Lord? Look at verses 14 and 16. Go back to the text. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this. Battle's done. Here we go. They're exhausted. They're on the battlefield. Lord says to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly, look at this promise, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. See, he's promising future victory. There's more Amalekites, but I'm promising you they're defeated already. You're going to have to fight them, but they're defeated. And Moses, verse 15, built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. See, after defeating Amalek, God wanted to ensure that the victory he brought the Israelites that day would not be forgotten from one generation to the next. See this? And he commands Moses to write it down. He says, Moses, take out your journal and write down what I just did. Write down my promises. Remember them. Write them in a book. 
and recite those promises. Go over it again and again. Remember it in those tough times. Remember it when you don't see any victory. Remember when everyone's grumbling and complaining. Remember my promise and my power. And recite this, Moses, to Joshua. He's going to be tempted to fear in the future. He's going to be tempted with complaining and grumbling. And he's going to have to lead a bunch of whining people. Write it down for him and recite it. It was so important they remembered who it was that brought them the victory that day and the power of their God and the promise for their future victory in the future over the Amalekites and testify this to the coming generation so they did not fall back into the destructive patterns of pride and fear and anxiety and unbelief in relying on their own strength in the future battles they faced. Recite it so they don't wave another banner. Recite it again. And those battles they're facing would be even greater than this one. God wanted his work and word recited. And notice verse 16, last verse. In an act of remembrance and worship to the Lord. What does Moses do? God gives a victory. Moses builds an altar. And he calls it, the Lord is my banner. The Hebrew word for that is Yahweh Nisi. Only the Jewish people would not call it Yahweh Nisi. They call, it Je- they call him Jehovah Nisi because they won't pronounce the most sacred name of God, which is Yahweh. They won't even spell it because of their reverence for it. Yahweh Nisi declaring that, look, at this is our God. He's our rallying point. He's who we're dependent on. This is our God. This is our standard. This is our deliverer. And we will rally around him. Not around the idols of our heart. Around him and seek his face and his presence and depend on him for this victory in this situation and what's ahead. That's the reason for the altar. So today, we bring it home. How quick are we to forget who God is and what he's done? Yeah, God did that before, but now this is different. How many of us are so fearful and anxious in in the situations we're facing right now simply because our God is too small? Man is big and God is small. How many right now? Have you remembered the victory? Have you remembered who our God is that you and I serve? And we forgot what he's done and can do in our lives and the promises he's made to us for his faithfulness in the future. And while Satan's always trying to get us to pick up the banners of this world and trying to get us to doubt and forget what God's done and said, listen, God calls us to pick up his banner. How? Through his word? Every day. Many times. His banner through prayer. His banner through the church. Through fellowship. His banner through worship and obedience, community, humility, and independency. And resolve to rally. Are you resolved to rally? Resolve to rally, no matter the situation or what it looks like, in remembrance around him and regroup in his promises and receive his instructions through his word and his strength and the power of his spirit that will see through the battle in front of us and we will see his victory. Remembrance fuels dependence. Will you resolve to remember the Lord? It's only fitting right now that we finish by remembering God's faithfulness to his people. Today, 
The presence of God, the victory of God, is not found through a wooden staff, but it's found through a wooden cross where God's perfect son, Jesus Christ, died to pay the penalty for our sin and to give the greatest victory, the victory over death and sin and the victory of salvation for all those who confess him as their Lord and Savior and repent of their sin and choose to make him by faith the banner over their lives and submit to him alone. Beloved, it is only through Jesus Christ alone that we too can approach God's throne of grace. A hand upon the throne. How? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Jesus is God's plan for victory. And without the work of Jesus, if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in love, friend, I'm so thankful you're here, but I have to tell you, as a faithful minister of God's word, Without the work of Jesus, there is no victory for you. I don't care what this world says. We need to care about what God says. There is no victory for you. There is no hope for you. There isn't. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. There is no forgiveness of sin for you. You can't earn that. You can never be good enough to receive that. He says, come to me by my grace through faith in me. There is only death for you apart from that, eternally in hell. Will you declare the Lord is my banner today? Jesus is my banner. He can save you right now. And you will know his victory. And the two elements we remember Jesus with right now, the bread and the juice, The bread represents his body that was crushed on that cross beyond all recognition. And the juice represents his blood that was shed to cleanse us and forgive us of our sin. That we might have new life, eternal life in him. And in a moment, the worship team is just going to play lightly. And we're going to take a moment of just pause. This is a sacred moment the communion table is. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, I just want to say two things. Number one, I'm so thankful that you're here. And number two, we're going to ask that you don't take the elements. Why? Because communion is for believers, followers of Jesus Christ only. To remember his victory for us. And we would love to talk with you. There'll be leaders up in the front to pray with you after. You're like, I want to know how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yes, Come on up, and today can be the day of your salvation. All right, so let's take this moment right now to repent of sin and say, search me, God, where are those banners being waved? Because they're there. Where are they? Repent, and let's get our hearts right. As he says, those who approach the table without discerning the body, the soul, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Don't come flippantly. Let's go into a few minutes of reflection.